This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you Put wild days like today into context, so call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, look, we know, had a great rally in the last half hour, but you have to accept, you and me, that the world has changed, and we need to change with it. From now on, when we come in on a Monday, we're not going to be focused on sales or earnings of companies, but we're going to be focused on coronavirus infections and fatalities. These days, the pandemic controls the action. You can get a bounce like we had today, one of the greatest bounces I've ever seen. Dow gained 1,985 points. S&P climbed 9.29%. NASDAQ jumped 9.35%. Yes, those are not mistakes. All on the backs of an extremely oversold position most in years. A 2.87% yield for the Dow coming in today. And the White House has put together a private sector coalition to boost testing. But until this virus is contained or cured just naturally levels out, you should expect much of this gain to be repealed, more selling, and if we don't get the fiscal help needed to preserve the rudiments of our service-based economy, I think today is going to end up being a good day to sell. And it already happened, maybe Monday. Let's be real. We can't sustain a meaningful rally here as opposed to the late Friday afternoon, not to be trusted short squeeze, until we have the COVID-19 situation under control. And we can't get things under control without test kits and some sort of antibody medicine that triumphs over this scourge. We can talk about that later in the show. We know there are two paradigms here. We've got South Korea, okay, which is doing it right, right? We have Italy, which has been totally overwhelmed. So far, we seem to be following the Italian trajectory. I think post-NBA, maybe that's what changed things. It looks like we're following more of a South Korean trajectory. But we've got to be watching these COVID numbers like hawk because if this trend continues... I predict pain. But if we can be more like South Korea, this market can catch fire, especially if the Treasury Secretary and the House Speaker hammer out a deal to tide over the entire sphere of commerce and protect the otherwise soon-to-be unemployed working person. It is that binary. We simply won't be on terra firma as long as the corona numbers keep surging and Dr. Tony Fauci has to come out and not reassure us because he can't that the illness is 10 times more deadly than the regular flu. It's a fact. Who wants to go outside when every authority figure is telling you to stay home? You can't go out to eat or see a game, if any games are still being played, and stay at home at the same time. The Amazon economy, which is what we're developing, is not a sustainable economy, even if it's great for Amazon shareholders. Now, we did have a couple positives today. I like the private sector coalition that came together to boost testing. Hate him or like him, Trump put together an impressive group in no time flat. You could be cynical about Walmart and Target and Walgreen and CVS, but after a while... There's too many to be cynical about. And for the stock market purposes, we did hear some magic words this morning when Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said they hope provide all the liquidity the markets need to remain orderly. When the Fed made that exact same statement, it 
in the crash of 87, terrible Tuesday, that caused the market to turn around and it never looked back. Listen. There will be liquidity available. Whatever we need to do, whatever the Fed needs to do, whatever Congress needs to do, we will provide liquidity. And this will be an entire whole of government approach led by the president. That's it. That's what you need to hear. That's what made this market go up, really. Even if we have a recession, that means we won't have a financial crisis. And even if we can just keep the system going, there's always the possibility that Regeneron or Eli Lilly, those are the ones that are closest, can come up with the treatment for the virus. I know Gilead is something similar. I expect an answer from them as soon as this month. That said, I don't like that none of these biotechs has been leaking good news. Believe me, if they had a real breakthrough, I think they'd just stop testing it and just give it to everybody immediately. On the other hand, Len Schleifer, the CEO of Regeneron, and the first guest we had on the show 15 years ago, when his stock was at five, it's now 465, says he's confident in his approach and moving fast. Louis equally confident, as you'll hear later in the show. Remember, there's always a possibility that something can go right. If somebody comes up with a viable treatment, you'll wish you bought stocks even as the crazy exalted levels we saw at the close when the shorts panicked and the algo funds exacerbated the upside just as they aggravated the downside yesterday. I don't like either side, by the way. I don't like it when it goes up like this. I don't like it when it goes down like this. That's why I think you need to buy stocks, though, with safe dividends here as well as highest growth tax. Although the key is to buy them gradually on the way down, not chase like today on a vicious artificial close up. I hate that kind of Friday rally. Why? Because it is not sustainable. So call me cautious going forward after this insanely positive day. With that in mind, can we find anything worth buying into some COVID-related weakness that I think all of us expect next week? I keep wondering, for instance, if I'm too bullish about the highest growth stocks, along with the accidental high yielders. See, in my experience, secular growth names are really the first ones to bounce back and bounce back viciously. And few companies have faster growth than Coupa Software. These guys have been on the, on the uh, show. The Cloud Prince, it owns the market for procurement, for management software, and it's on the cloud, and it's a proven money saver for clients. Billions of dollars saved. Cooper reports if they'll close Monday. If they make the numbers, I bet the stock goes flying. I don't like DocuSign, by the way, which you can hear about later in the show. Now, earlier this week, United Parcel named one of my favorite people, a new CEO, the fabulous Carol Tomei, the former, formerly the CFO of Home Depot. Okay, that's terrific news for everyone except... FedEx, which reports Tuesday. Now, here's a stock that's down nearly 30% for the year. I don't even know what to say about it, frankly. That last conference call was just open rebellion by the analysts. I used to love FedEx. I love the service, of course, but it's been the toughest stock to own in a very tough group. That said, nobody knows commerce like these guys. You know what? If there's anything positive, the stock is going to roar, but I, I can't imagine what that would be. Still, great economist uh, call. Tells you a lot about the economy worldwide. Wednesday's all about the Fed, and I know it's going to be boring, so I'll get up, but that's okay. We'll deal with that. I do expect another big rate cut from Jay Powell, so does everybody else. Behind the scenes, Powell's been making some reassuring noises. But I hope he takes a page from Ben Bernanke in 2009 when he said he simply wouldn't allow any more bank failures. That's not the issue this time, but you know what I'm talking about. Powell's also going to have to lay out what he can do to give lifelines to small business. And, uh, and by the way, he's got to push down mortgage rates, which are stuck at 3% and change for even the best of borrowers. I mean, even though the Treasury rates are way low. I want to hear that he's working closely with Treasury to guarantee letters of credit for vital institutions that can't get them at the moment due to short-term COVID customer losses. Jay, here, listen to me, my two cents. Be creative. This is a war. Better to apologize after than to ask for permission now. It won't be granted. Or maybe you do like Nike. Just do it. 
We also have three important companies reporting on Wednesday that can give us a read on the new normal. First, General Mills. All right, we're in a stay-at-home economy. You can hear a lot about that from me, so Mills should be making a killing here. Then the other two are retailers. Wow, is retail under fire. Williams-Sonoma and Five Below. Williams-Sonoma has a terrific online business. How's that holding up? Five Below is a chain that depends on impulse purchases and Chinese merchandise for the most part. Stock hit a 52-week low today because Wall Street's worried they'll miss the numbers. Uh, they didn't do such a great job in the last numbers, but they are, they are a regional and national chain. I do like them. The stock would be flying if it weren't for all the stuff that's happening, but what, is, what does that mean? Next, uh, don't you want to know if people stop, uh, have stopped going to dinner? I mean, look, you could ask me, proud owner of Bar San Miguel and co-owner of the Longshoreman. But you know what? I'd rather hear something more bigger, maybe more national. How about Darden, the owner of Olive Garden? They've got their finger on the pulse of the consumer here, and the stock's been crushed. It's down 40% year to date. Unfortunately, that might make sense in the middle of a pandemic. We're going to find out. How about housing? I keep hearing that it's now slowing. Housing stocks did bailey in today's rally. Let's see what Lenar, one of my favorite home builders, has to say when they report Thursday morning. It's always a good conference call. And then we also get results from one of my favorite companies that no one likes to talk about. And a lot of that, I think, is because the spell check always makes it come out of CAN instead of ACN. Just kidding, but think about that. Accenture, and I, I think, is going to have a real good quarter. Companies need Accenture to digitize, and they're great at doing it. They also have a good read on how many deals are closing and how slow business has gotten. How hard is it to close a deal in the era of COVID-19? If Accenture says it's down big, I see all of tech getting hammered. After the close CrowdStrike reports, and this cybersecurity star has been clobbered. I think the work-from-home thesis includes CrowdStrike uh, because they keep these new off-site channels safe. I'd be a buyer. Finally, on Friday, we get existing home sales. We'll need an upbeat number to justify any potential rebound in retail or housing. But are we going to get one? I mean, it's certainly if we don't get some sort of fiscal deal, if we don't get something between Mnuchin and Pelosi and get it soon, then I got to tell you, it's going to look like this, even if the testing looks like this and COVID looks like this. That's kind of off the charts there. Let's go to Chris in New Jersey. Chris. Chris. Oh, yeah, Jim. The Thank bot- you and oh. your team. I'm Thank sorry. you for doing a great job. Uh, we spoke a month and a half ago, and people will stay home right now. And do you think with the expiration already happened, do you think that will benefit Peloton, P-T-O-N? Uh, you know what? That's an overdone thesis. Uh, I know people want to do it, but it's just too simple. It, it, we have to be far more uh, nuanced than that. Uh, it sounds too good to be true, and it is. Andrew in New York. Andrew. Hi, Jim. Good to talk to you. Thank you. I'm an Same. investor with a 30-plus year time horizon. Since the market has come down pretty significantly, would it be best for me to front-load my 401k to the IRS max of 19500 right now instead of dollar No, no, we never do that. No, because that, that, that is arrogant thinking. That's arrogant thinking. That's hubris thinking. What's hubristic? Here's what you have to do. You have to space it out. No one is that good. No one is that right. We buy in a scale on the way down. We don't just go in in a chunk. Do not front load. You can pick two months of it, maybe even three months of it, but that's about all. All right, the world has changed. It's changed so much that I didn't even give you my bottom line, which is how difficult this next week's going to be if Mnuchin and Pelosi don't agree and we don't get a good number from Koopa and we get bad uh, virus numbers. So there, that's the bottom line. The key metrics for this market are new coronavirus infections. So stay cautious. Hey, oh man, tonight, I'm keeping you up with the race for COVID-19 vaccine. I know, year and a half, year and a half, year and a half. Can we just even think about something that may just mitigate it? Then with stocks rallying today from their worst day in more than 30 years with one of the best days in more than 30 years, uh, I have to figure out what the hell is going on with the fewer deaths. I'm going off the charts to find out. And as COVID-19 continues to spread and off-site working increases, 
put a work-at-home stock like, oh, I want to tease it, except for I already mentioned DocuSign makes sense. I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. Even after the president's press conference today, which sent the averages soaring by short squeeze into the close, we have to be aware that the coronavirus is still in control of this market. And if we see a bunch of new cases over the weekend, the averages will give up many of this gain, especially the last few percent. What could really change that dynamic? What makes it so it just stays up? Well, if somebody comes up with something that can manage the disease, get people out of the hospital faster, or even ward off the disease one day via vaccine, which brings me to Eli Lilly. Yesterday, they announced a partnership with Abcelera to develop a monoclonal antibody-based therapy for COVID-19. That could be a very big deal if it works. So let's take a closer look with David Ricks. Dave is the chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly. Dave, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you, Jim, today. Well, first, thank you so much for, for coming on on such short notice. Dave, can you give us the substance of what could happen here? Because the science seems very complex, but the companies that are involved, yours and Abcelera, seem to be up to it. Well, there are many approaches that are going on across the pharmaceutical industry and partners with biotech and academic researchers. This is one of them. We signed uh, an announcement deal yesterday with Epsilon, as you said. Their approach is to take um, antibodies, which are the body's own response to, some, to a virus like this, and um, they actually isolated antibodies from one of the first survivors, people to recover from coronavirus in the U.S., they screen those antibodies for the ones that could be active against the virus. And now we're partnering to uh, find the very best one, potentially modify it so it's more like a drug, and then scale up production and manufacturing so we can test it in clinical trials and bring it to the marketplace. Well, Dick, let me ask you, uh, there are a lot of uh, people who are saying the reason why this, this thing's a very hard thing to, to beat, and one of them is because there are apparently 294 variants of COVID-19 so far discovered, and that they're all different. They each have their own uh, characteristics, so it's not doesn't lend itself to what you're doing. Is this thing too hard to crack? I don't think so. I think uh, th- there will be solutions that, that will make a difference for treating patients, um, of course, there are separate approaches to vaccinate, which will take more time because we're, you need to test those in healthy people. But um, it, may, it may take more than one medicine um, to help people recover if they, for the sickest that get the, the disease. But um, we're starting this because we believe it can work. And by starting with the, the very uh, material that helps someone survive, uh, we think it's a good starting place to find an antibody uh, or a cocktail of antibodies that could be given to patients when they do become sick. Yeah, um, and I, I'm one thing I want to mention sure. as well, Jim, is the speed at which this is unfolding is unprecedented in our industry. Literally, uh, Absolera started this work 11 days ago. Uh, we signed the deal today. We hope to be in a clinical trial this summer. 
Well, that, that is extraordinary. I mean, this would be a, a couple-year project just to get there, typically. Now, Len Schleifer is a friend of the show, uh, Edward Generon. He's talking about being able to produce 200,000 preventative doses per month starting at the end of summer. Uh, what do you think you could produce? Yeah, we would be in a similar range. Um, I'm not so worried uh, at this point about the capacity to produce uh, doses. Again, this medicine, and some, it's a similar approach to Regeneron, would be first be used in those that are in uh, intensive care units and hospitals. And those numbers hopefully would not rise uh, very much above that level you just described. Um, for most people, um, they won't need to go to the hospital. But eventually, these kind of treatments, these antibodies, should be given as a preventative to those that are most at risk, for instance, nursing home patients and others with complicating factors like diabetes and hypertension. Hey, Dave, you're, you're a very common-sensical guy, and you're probably, uh, I often say to doctors, the guy who's most in touch with America as the CEO in the pharmaceutical industry. This thing's a little scary to everybody. And, and maybe you can just describe what you, a, a medical person, are doing to keep your people who work at Eli Lilly as safe as possible. Because, you know, Dave, I've never seen Americans as scared as they are right now. Yeah, and I think people should be uh, concerned, but not uh, frightened. Um, this is a highly transmissible, uh, transmissible virus, but most people who get it do not get very sick. Um, the young in particular don't seem to be affected, and that's very reassuring. But 8 out of 10 who, get, who are confirmed with the virus in other countries, we know, um, have not gotten severely ill. Uh, so I think that should be reassuring. That said, we need to protect the healthcare system and those that are at risk. And as a result, we've approached this problem by really prioritizing two things. First, the safety of our employees, and then secondly, keeping our employees who have to be coming to work to make medicine, which uh, is, a, is a critical responsibility we have, uh, keep them able to come to the office. So we're now in a full work-from-home uh, scenario uh, at Lilly uh, for everyone except those that need to come and make the medicines and keep critical laboratory experiments moving. Uh, people should avoid, uh, I think, uh, convening in, in large groups. And we should practice those common-sense CDC measures like washing our hands, social distancing, uh, coughing into our arm, et cetera, uh, just to avoid the spread of the disease. By doing all this, we can flatten the curve, quote-unquote, and uh, preserve the healthcare resources and protect those most at risk. And I think that's everyone's responsibility, and a special one for us because we make medicines for people with diabetes, and we know they're a high-risk group. We cannot let them down by having a shortage. And the good news is we don't. We've uh, confirmed uh, last week even, that we have uh, a broad supply of all our medicines. We want to keep it that way. Well, that, that's what I need to know, David. You and I have spoken off camera sometimes. You know, I'm the spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation. I now this week, for the first time, got a notice, which is one of my drugs can't be made because it's got Chinese mm-hmm. ingredients and it can't be delivered right now in time. Uh, how do we preserve this? This is not right, Dave. Yeah, that's a difficult situation. Uh, of course, most of the medicines that branded companies like mine, you know, innovative pharmaceutical companies, our supply chains don't rely on China. And for Lily, none of our products come from China or rely on product uh, inputs that come from China. Uh, that's why we were able to confirm uh, for patients who use Lily medicines, they can rely on that supply. And there's no need to stockpile um, or do anything uh, different. Uh, but a lot of uh, generic medications do rely on um, ingredients from around the world, including from China. Uh, I've seen the list. It's about uh, 20 or 30 medicines. It's available at the FDA website. Um, so it's a pretty small number still, but we'll have to track that. I, I think the recommendation is to talk to your doctor about other alternatives 
because there are alternatives in many medication classes that uh, could be used instead and are, are still widely available. Well, Dave, I want to thank you for coming on short notice. Thank you for what you're doing to help conquer this terrible disease. That's David Ricks. He's Eli Lilly, chairman and CEO. And what an amazing thank executive. You. What he's done for shareholders is incredible, too. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Great to speak to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care. That's David Ricks, Eli Lilly. Look, we're not talking socks right now. Uh, uh, he's quite a guy. Uh, done some uh, behind the scenes. It's as good as what you just heard. Everybody's back after uh, break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Congratulations. This is now the most volatile market ever. Well, we've had some huge intraday swings in 2008. Even back then, it wasn't this dramatic. We may have gone down faster in the crash of 87, but that was almost a straight line. We weren't whipping back and forth like this. The truth is, we've had more 4% plus moves in the last 10 days than in any other period in modern history. Yeah, I'm going crazy. (laughs) It's the world that's going crazy. That's why tonight I want to do a special Friday edition of Off the Charts, this time with the help of Mark Sebastian. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com. As well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com, a resident volatility expert. This is one of those moments where you need to take a step back and try to look at the situation through a quantitative lens rather than an emotional lens because, wow, trading has gotten highly emotional. Even though this is the most volatile market in living history, Sebastian says the best point of comparison is, yes, the Great Recession, 2008. Now, this man is a scholar of the CBOE Volatility Index. That's the VIX for short. We also also call it the fear gauge around here. And he points out that yesterday was the VIX's fourth highest close ever. The only times it ever closed higher were during the financial crisis. Makes sense. The VIX tends to go up when the averages go down and vice versa. They don't call it the fear gauge for nothing. The first and most important takeaway from that period, Sebastian says peak volatility does not mean peak sell-off. Okay, Not. Meaning don't get too exuberant about today's rebound. Take a look at this pair of charts showing the S&P 500 and the volatility index back in 2008 and 2009. Back during the financial crisis, the VIX spiked dramatically in October. Okay, you're looking to VIX here. That was the second highest close ever for the volatility index. Not long after, we got some positive data and the S&P 500 briefly popped. Only the tank again a few days later. In response, the VIX spiked again, this time climbing to its all-time high in November. Incredible. And that's when volatility peaked. But even then, it took months before the stock market could find a bottom. Volatility peaking did not equal a bottom in the stock market. Just the opposite, okay? In fact, we had some huge aftershocks that only dragged the S&P 500 down 12%, 12% lower by March of 2009. If anyone remembers, this was a brutal stretch, even though volatility had peaked. What was, what was happening during the four months between the volatility peak and the bottom? While the S&P 500 continued to drift lower in fits and starts, Sebastian points out that the VIX was drifting lower, too. By the time we bottomed in March of 2009, it was down 30 points from its highs the previous November. That's why Sebastian's so insistent that peak volatility doesn't equal peak pain. When the market keeps beating the stuff in out of it, sooner or later it stops being shocking. 
Now let's circle back to the present. I want you to check out this pair of charts showing the S&P 500 and the VIX for 2020. You can see that as the S&P plummeted, the VIX has moved up pretty much in a straight line, okay, before closing last night at 75. If we zoom in on the action today, even as the market soared and the volatility index closed down 23%, it's still up huge over the past month. Despite recovering most of yesterday's losses, we haven't given back as much of the risk premium. The VIX was at 54 on Wednesday. It's still 58 now. That tells Sebastian what? Yes, that the smart money remains scared. If this meltdown is anything like 2008, then he thinks we have some aftershocks coming. What does an aftershock look like? Okay, after opening strong this morning, the S&P 500 briefly pulled back hard, erasing nearly all the gains. Yes, a great trading moment. While the S&P was still up oh so slightly, the volatility index didn't erase its losses for the day. It surged to a new intraday high at just under 78. Then the market rebounded hard and the VIX came back down. But for that one brief moment, the fear gauge was actually up versus yesterday. And yesterday was the worst day for the average since the crash of 87. That's not a good sign for the bulls. It tells Sebastian this rebound is built on shaky foundations, just like the last rebound and the one before that. And I keep telling you, the last half hour of today is what I call the definitive shaky foundation. I've got one more pair of charts for you here. This is the volatility index on top and what's known as the VIX volatility index on the bottom, which measures the volatility of the VIX itself. What's wrong with this picture? Even though the volatility index went lower today, the VIVIX, that's what they call it, the VVIX, the VIVIX, well, what did that do? It kept surging up more than 10%. That means there's a lot of money betting that the fear gauge will continue making big outsized moves like it did yesterday. In other words, the VIVIX is saying that this period of intense volatility might not be over. The volatility index could go to new highs, and when the VIX goes up, the S&P 500 almost always goes down. What does he need to see before he can get more bullish? The VIVIX needs to start coming down, and the VIX needs to stop spiking every time the S&P experiences an intraday reversal. Unfortunately for the bulls, Sebastian says we just aren't there yet, which is why he expects the averages to make fresh lows at some point, probably next week even, which is why it may pay to do some selling if we get any strength on Monday or even if we come in flat. Uh, not down a thousand points, and we had to reconfigure. The bottom line: the charts, as interpreted by Mark Sebastian, our VIX expert, suggest that today's move was, yes, the definitive dead cat bounce. Sooner or later, he thinks the market will actually be worth buying, but he's betting there'll be more pain before we find a bottom. These charts verify that. Greg in Mississippi, Greg. Hey, Professor Kramer. Thank y'all for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my stock is United Rentals URI. I see their equipment on construction sites everywhere. The price to earnings is really cheap, seems like. I bought in a couple of days ago, 70 shares at $98. Uh, how, how would the coronavirus and the oil industry issues affect the company? Okay, this is, uh, Craig, a stock that you buy when you get an economic boom. Uh, if you believe that there's going to be a recession, you sell the stock nine ways to Sunday. I happen to think uh, that that's a, what I regard as too binary for me. Um, you sound like someone who's willing to take a risk. Uh, this has plenty of risk to it, obviously big reward, but too much risk for me. Let's go to Steve in Washington, please. Steve. Booyah, Jim. Thanks Booyah. for what you do to help our fellow Americans. Uh, doing, doing my best. What's going on? Got a hundred k in cash looking at Prudential Prue down about 40% from last year's high around 106. Uh, just what's your position on it and regarding the dividends and any other suggestions with the cash? Thank well, look, you I, again and appreciate Prudential it. Prudential long term, I've always liked it, but I, it, this doesn't seem like the old Prudential, frankly. 
I wish they'd come on the show. It just seems so much more risky than it used to be. Travelers is a less risky one in that in that department, even though that stock's not doing that well. Steve in California, please. Steve. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, first, I just got to tell you something. I believe in you. And I know there's a lot of chaos out there, but I think you need to hear that. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. we're going to we're going to get through this mess. You together. bet we are. No, I, I yeah. have no doubt whatsoever. We are going to get through yeah. it and we're going to get through it whole. What's going on? Yes. Um, I called you over the summer when the markets were uh, kind of flat. And I told you I have a lot of growth stocks, but I didn't have any dividends. And you blessed me buying Starwood. And I have been buying it from the top all the way down here. And we've come a long way down. And it's been painful. Yes. Uh, you talked about accidental high yielders. That was a high yielder to begin with. And now we're over 10%. Are you throwing the red flag on this one? Should you know I what? I listened to it? Barry Sternlich, who's the CEO, talk this morning on Squawk Box. It, when there's really something wrong and it's not going well, the, the, you don't go on Squawk Box and say it's going right. Barry Sternlich is a seasoned investor. I can't own stocks, but I've got to tell you, this is one uh, high accidental high yielder stock that I think is actually going to work out okay. He's a straight shooter, Barry. All right, listen. This is the most volatile market ever. And our guy, Mark Sebastian, along with some other people I know who are very familiar with the VIX gauge, say, listen, do not get complacent about this rally. If anything, it was phony. Uh, He believes that there's more pain before we bottom. I'm not going to disagree. Remember, this is about illness and it's about lethality. Buckle up. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with DocuSign. Now, there's a hot one. As more employees work from home, is the company uniquely positioned to benefit? Then there are tons of reasons people have to sell. But looking for a reason to buy? I'm going to tell you what you should be focused on. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic, not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone. The ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. Stocks surged into the close, but even after a nearly 2,000-point run, we still need to adjust to the new stay-at-home economy. And that means circling the wagons around companies that could actually benefit as more people work from home. I'm talking about companies like DocuSign. That's a maker of software tools that help business digitally prepare, execute, and act on agreements. You want an electronic signature on that contract? DocuSign. It's a verb. Here's a stock that's been a huge winner for the better part of two years before the, the coronavirus came along and the whole market melted down. Then last night, DocuSign reported fantastic quarter with incredibly bullish guidance, and the stock caught fire today. It jumped more than 12%. They're expanding beyond electronic signatures into a whole suite of digital document preparation software, and I think this pandemic will push us further into the digitization of everything as well as strengthening the stay-at-home economy. Can the stock keep rebounding? Let's check in with Dan Springer, the CEO of DocuSign. He had a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Springer, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. Sir, uh, you have been had a stock that we have loved for a long time with Mad Money. It's one of the hottest stocks on the planet. But this is your first time on the show. So I'd like you to introduce our viewers who haven't used your product to say, uh, tell us what you do. 
Absolutely. Well, most people, of course, know DocuSign for the leadership position we've always had in eSignature. And that really is what brought us to the dance and how most people associate with the business. But increasingly, we've really broadened that to what we call the agreement cloud. So in addition to the signature, we've built products that allow people to prepare agreements, go through that signing process they know and love with DocuSign, and then manage those agreements afterwards. And that's the core of really what the DocuSign Agreement Cloud provides. Now, uh, I just finished using DocuSign about, I'd say, about a half hour ago to buy a house. And I didn't have to go anywhere. And it was terrific. But it was even more terrific because I'm so fearful of the virus that it was a delight to not have to go and meet everyone, even though everybody on the round the table is likable people. Uh, you have changed <laughs> the way people buy things, correct? That is absolutely true. And, of course, the use case you just described with real estate is really part of what brought us on, on the map. Uh, and if you think about the largest real estate companies that are all DocuSign customers, uh, they really have enabled their end customers to have that fantastic experience you described. Even better in a heightened sense of, of awareness right now. But in general, a lot of people love that convenience of being able to DocuSign and go and get out there and back to doing the things they love. No, you're right. I mean, look, I, fortunately, my wife's in real estate and we've done a number of acquisitions. This is the first one I was able to do while I was doing my job. So thank you. Uh, I'm not the only one. The revenue numbers here are extraordinary, plus 38. Billings are accelerating, plus 40. 589,000 worldwide customers? I mean, this is rather remarkable in a period where a lot of companies are really seeing a slowdown. You're seeing acceleration? We are. Uh, We've seen our business uh, perform very well throughout the year, uh, and we're excited about the year ahead as well. If you think about the source of that strength, I think it's two things. One is there is this uh, digital transformation that large companies are doing, but we also see for the small customers, because we really, one of the few uh, software businesses go from the largest Fortune, you know, 500 companies down to mom and pop businesses. That's how we get to that 589,000 customers you alluded to. And we're seeing that that efficiency of really taking all of the agreements that they have putting them online, making that digital, is driving our uh, tremendous growth. Well, one of the things that I was really encouraged by that you, did, that you uh, talk about is uh, I, we all know we pay a lot of legal fees. And we wish we didn't, but it's done by the hour. One large international information services company reduced the time they spent on legal reviews by 75%. That must have meant that they saved hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes, it's interesting. You know, the efficiency, the ROI of using DocuSign is a big part of why so many people come to us. But even more, I think, than the efficiency from the savings of the legal fees you described and the hours of their in-house legal team, it's the customer experience. So now, whether it's their internal employees or their end customers, they're having that fast, efficient experience, similar to what you described with buying a home. And that is oftentimes the biggest driver for our customers and the biggest value they receive by bringing their agreements online with DocuSign. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's right up uh, the companies I deal with, Al, I, Al, who are trying to figure out how to get their gross margins uh, higher, which is what we yep. all want. Uh, an aviation company reviews more than 25,000 agreements in just a few business days. Uh, that's a, a month-long project. Yeah, if you were doing that with a manual process, and by the way, when we talk about manual processes, that's really what we talk about as competition. We say our competition is paper and those traditional manual processes people want to get away from because it's harder on their business, it's harder on their customers, it's also harder on the environment when you're shipping those agreements around. But that kind of savings that you're describing there, it would have been an army of paralegals reviewing all 25,000 of those customers. would have taken them months, uh, and it would not be the uh, quick, fast experience they get with DocuSign. Uh, I know that you have a large uh, total addressable market. It looks like from the, new ac- from the acquisition, you-, you could be doubling the total addressable market size? 
Yeah, so we've talked about the TAM for the DocuSign e-signature business when we went public almost two years ago as being about a $25 billion TAM. As we add the rest of that agreement cloud that I was describing earlier, and that's the preparing agreements and managing agreements, uh, we see that gets to approximately double that. So we think that is substantial. Uh, we really please, though, if you take a look at the CLM side of our business, uh, some came from the acquisition of Spring CM, uh, we've already moved to a leadership position there. In fact, Gartner just came out with their new CLM quadrant, and they have us one of the leaders at the top of that. So I think we see the opportunity for us to, to parlay that strength and signature to the broader agreement processes is off to a great start. Okay. Uh, do you, has there been a, I mean, I know that you want, you're not a profiteer, and I know that, and you made that very clear, but has there been yeah. an uptick since the coronavirus? So, so here's what we've seen. Um, I think we're going to be like a lot of other companies, that if there is a significant economic slowdown, even with that high ROI you just alluded mm -hmm. to, um, we, like all businesses, will, of course, feel that to some extent. But we also have a really powerful tailwind. And if you think about the digital transformation and people trying to move things digital, I think something like Corona might accelerate that a little bit. Right. Uh, in the last week, we have seen a few companies, to your point, call us and say, can we accelerate some activities? We would have done anyway, but we really want to be ready to more work from home. Or as you times show on your show, you talk about this concept of the stay-at-home right. sort of stock. Um, and I think that we have a component of that. But again, our focus is just delivering that value to our customers. And the last thing we want to do is profiteer, as you said, from a horrible human health situation like this. Uh, but if it helps our customers accelerate their path, we're going to be supportive of that. Well, Dan Springer, CEO of DocuSign, congratulations on everything you've done. We all love you. Use it because you save us our right. time, too. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. All right. Thanks for having us. Got the oldest stay-at-home stock for both corporate and individual. This story is going higher. Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skating Dad? It's time for the lightning round because we're going to start with Bob in Michigan. Bob. Jim, it's a pleasure to talk to my hero. Uh, you're very kind. What's going on? Last October, you were very upbeat about Bed Bath & Beyond and their new CEO. I bought a bunch of the stock from my granddaughter's college fund. I was wondering, I'd like to get more. Are you still positive about well, it? Well, you know, it's got a 920... First of all, retail's been pretty horrible, so let's give it that. Got a $925 million market cap, but it's $1.5 billion in cash. It's $1.5 billion in debt, but the maturities aren't for later in time. So basically, you're buying this thing for much less than cash. So I think it's okay. The problem is, of course, retail is hated. Let's go to Johnny in Pennsylvania. Johnny! Jim, I'm calling from Villanova, Pennsylvania with my 17-year-old grandson Johnny. I like to he manages hear. a portfolio for us and has a question. Put Johnny on. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Love the show. Watch you every day after school. Thank you. We got a rate down in our portfolio. What do you think? Um, which one was it? Raytheon. Oh, uh, Raytheon, the merger with, uh, I, I believe the merger with, with uh, Eli Technology, except for I only want the Raytheon portion. So, yeah, I think the Ray, Raytheon's okay. I don't want Otis, by the way, and I certainly do not want Carrier. So I like your idea, and congratulations for thinking big at uh, as young as you are. Pete, New Jersey, Pete. Hey, Jim. Thank you very much for bringing a sense of calm in all these crazy times that you always do. Sure darn um, trying. Thank you. 
Um, I want to get your opinion. I know a lot of things are on sale right now, but what do you think of General Dynamics? It's good. You, you know, you're basically betting that uh, that President Trump is going to win a second term. Uh, because if the Democrats get in, I do not think you're going to be able to, to uh, expect that you're going to have military appropriations as big as you get with this, this current president. Let's go with John in Pennsylvania. John. Hey, Kramer. Hey, uh, Churchill Downs, their Christmas is uh, the Kentucky Derby. 160,000 people from around the world go there. What happens to the stock if they cancel? Holy cow. Well, that's why the stock fell so dramatically. Uh, it's a binary stock. If they cancel, it's like uh, what happened to CBS when that uh, March Band is canceled. It's a bad place to be. I don't like binary situations. They're too hard for this guy. Let's go to Chad in Louisiana. Chad. Yeah. Who got Jim? Who got Chad? Yeah, my uh, stock is Oscar Healthcare, MDRX. Yeah, what the heck is going wrong with that thing? This is electronic uh, records keeping, and it has just been destroyed. And there's huge insider buying. Let's get the CEO one who just bought a ton of stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Things are tougher than reevaluating stocks on the fly. You're trying to figure out what to pay for something. You arrive at a price for your rational analysis. Then some panic seller comes in and takes out the price at a heartbeat. Suddenly your rational analysis means nothing. And that's what happened yesterday. And it led to some great trades today. Believe me, though, this Thursday down Friday cycle will happen many times until we liquidate this scourge. It's always shocking when sellers are willing to dump something for less than you'd be willing to pay for it, isn't it? That was the case yesterday. It makes you feel like your homework was worthless. Why bother figuring out what a stock is worth when your fellow shareholders, especially the algorithmic renters, don't even care anymore? Simple. Because it's always worth figuring out what you should be willing to pay. In times of stress, you have to realize there'll be plenty of sellers who aren't thinking rationally. They just want out, either to stop the pain or because they need to give the money back to their clients or maybe some algorithmic... Set up, makes them sell, 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 sell. We saw that all day yesterday, and we even saw it during the vicious dip today, which was a great buying opportunity. The truth is there are a ton of reasons why people sell into the teeth of a market-wide meltdown. There's only one reason to buy, because you think the stock's only going to go up. But that doesn't mean it's going up immediately. So you better leave room to buy more into weakness caused by your panicked fellow shareholders. We're not yet at the point where we can trust a snapback rally like we had this afternoon. Why? Because we're still not getting any good news or numbers on the coronavirus front, even though the testing process now looks like it will be expedited. But near the end of yesterday's shellacking, I know I got that sense of, oh, my, what happens if something positive occurs? We don't know anything for the charitable trust. I look at the prices after the close and I said to myself, man, what I wouldn't have been it, what I wouldn't have done to be able to get those prices on the way up. Of course, we're not on the way up anymore other than the squeeze at the end of the day. Still, I think it's worth going over the concept of valuation for a moment. First things first, inflation. We don't have any. In fact, the price of gold is telling us we have deflation with its decline this week. And in times of deflation, you should be willing to pay more for a company's earnings estimates in the out years. Deflation means a dollar five years from now will have more purchasing power than that same dollar today. So will a stock. Now, we have tons of businesses where the estimates are still realistic. That includes everything from the hyper-growth tech plays, like we saw with DocuSign, to the utilities. They deserve higher price earnings multiples than they were getting a month ago. 
because the relative consi- consistent earnings should be worth a lot more once the smoke clears. Most important, we have a real binary situation with this pandemic. As long as the coronavirus keeps spreading at an exponential pace, I think stocks will give up some of these gains. This feels a lot like one of those short squeezes we saw in 2008. Whenever TARP looked good or a bank was saved, then we got bad news and a quick give up that was even worse than the run up. The moment we get the outbreak contained, I see the averages exploding higher because there will be so much stimulus pumped into the global economy from governments all over the world. It's going to be painful until then. That's why I still think you have to buy things on the way down, for instance, on Monday when we have a big give up. When we get a handle on the situation one day, one way or another, it'll, it, it will be too late to get back in. Once this thing is beaten, you, you, you want to look back and say, you know what? I bought when no one believed. Right now, even after the huge afternoon run, I think very few people believed and they thought the close was phony. There was a lot of phoniness about it. There wasn't even enough time to get your sellers out there as you probably should have. I think they'll probably keep not believing for longer than we'd like. But since we have no idea when the pain will stop, you have to be prepared for a possible bottom. That's why I keep telling you to buy high-quality, accidental high-yielders and fast-growing techs on the way down. And I'm confident you can ride out with, with diverse, diversification this whole thing with me together. Stick with Kramer. Look, I know at the end of the day, it felt real good if you were a bull. But until you don't have to do this anymore, every 15, 20 minutes... I'll tell you, we're in for a long, long up and down ride. See, this is what has to change, not the stock prices. We don't have this thing under control yet. It was terrific to see all these executives get together. I like a lot of the ideas that the president did. Some of them were suggested by me, so I guess I like them. But we are not. And we even like the fact that Nancy Pelosi seems to agree with Steve Mnuchin on some plan that is going to pump money into the economy to save the working person. But you know what? Until we get this under control, stop worrying. You're going to see a lot more days like yesterday, and I believe fewer days like today. I want you to think about that next time we have a big rally. You lighten up so you're ready when we get days like yesterday, because they're going to be more prevalent, I believe, because there's too much not great ahead. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday. Our special markets and turmoil starts right CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.